If you would please take your Bibles and turn to them to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. For those of you following along very closely in our sermon series this fall through the Paul's epistles to the Colossians, you will notice we've jumped ahead one passage. Don't worry, we're going to come back to it uh, next week. But this passage seemed very appropriate for this day as we celebrate the ordination and installation of a man to gospel ministry. So our passage of study this morning will be Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, some final instructions that the Apostle Paul has as he is pastoring and shepherding this local church in Colossae. This is God's holy word to us this morning. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your holy word, written long ago, given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, breathed out by you, O God, and profitable for teaching, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Oh, Lord, train us in righteousness, we pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Perhaps lately, uh, as I've mentioned in a few sermons, maybe the Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons have knocked on your door wanting to speak with you and asking you if they can share with you their version of who God is and what life is all about. But imagine, if you will, A complete stranger maybe knocked on your door this week. Maybe it'll be an alien, I don't know, a visitor from another planet. They knocked on your door and you answered and they said, greetings, I'm from another planet. And I'm here on an exploratory mission to study the many religions of planet Earth. And I would like for you to describe to me what a Christian is. How would you respond to that? How would you go about describing what a Christian is like? Perhaps you might think, or perhaps they might think, what does a Christian look like? But that's not really the right question, is it? Because a Christian can can look like anybody and does look like anybody. The real question is, what does a Christian believe? What are the core beliefs of someone who claims to be a Christian. And if a a Christian has beliefs, then the next set of questions should be, how, how do those beliefs influence the way that they live? How do the core doctrines and beliefs and truths that a Christian follows, how would that influence their lives? This seems to be at the heart of some of these final instructions that the Apostle Paul is given in his letter to the church in Colossae. Remember, he he loves this congregation. He 
he is taking the time to write to them this, this very long pastoral letter, and he's never even met them. He, he is in prison, and he has never even gone to this church, and yet he loves them, and he longs to instruct them and pastor them. And so we see Paul's pastoral heart for these dear believers in Colossae. He loves this congregation. And from his pastoral heart, we see these instructions that he gives, that this is how a Christian lives. This is how a Christian is to to walk in a way that honors Christ. In other words, a Christian lives this way because his or her faith in Christ requires it of them. And so these final instructions that Paul has for the church here, they're It's chock full of wisdom for us. This is how we are to walk. These are the things that are to help us align our priorities in the Christian life. These are the things that are important not only to the church in Colossae, but to the church of all ages, of all time. This is why we study God's Word expositionally this morning. These words of instruction are to help us live out the gospel in our daily lives. And these instructions are not only true for the church at large, but Taylor will call you out a few times this morning. (laughs) They're true for the leaders of the church as well. So I believe these instructions are for us what a model of consistent godly leadership looks like. And Taylor, on this day that you will be ordained as a teaching elder for the gospel ministry, There are some important words to challenge and equip you for this task. But these words aren't just for Taylor. They're words that are penned again to the local church and one of their pastors, the Apostle Paul. He has some some gospel coaching for them. Some of that, you know, that final pregame speech, if you will, before, before he concludes his letter that he wants to instruct them in. He calls the church to be salt and light, to be an influence, to to be a beacon of hope in the local church but in the world, and he's going to tell them how to do that with these final instructions. But just one word of caution here, just to be clear, as we begin to walk our way through these verses, as I heard one pastor say, instructions cannot save you. Following instructions will not save you. Simply put, these are not things that we're to simply put on our Christian to-do list and assume that God will save us by our good works, because that is not true biblically. No one can be saved by works. Salvation is by grace through Christ alone and not by works. However, Paul did explain this very succinctly, very clearly in Ephesians 2, when he says, it is by grace you've been saved, this is not of yourselves, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast, but we are God's workmanship, right? We are God's creation, and why were we created? Why were we saved? We were saved and created for good works. We are saved for good works, not by good works. And so that is what must be before us as we walk our way through, again, these instructions. This is how Christians are to walk, Paul says. This is how Christians are to be 
salt and light. And so there are three practical ways that we can do that here in this passage. The first is we can be salt and light by being steadfast in prayer. The second, we are called to be salt and light by preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ with clarity. And thirdly, we are to be salt and light by showing wisdom in our witness, the way we walk toward outsiders, Paul says. So let's look at these three things from this passage. The first is a Christian is called to be salt and light by being steadfast in prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer, Paul says. Doesn't that sometimes feel like one of the hardest things to do in the Christian life is to pray? I linked an article in my pastor's quarter this last week. I hope that you'll check that out as an infographic about what the church thinks about prayer. And the consensus was everybody wants to do a better job at praying. You know, on a one scale of one to ten, nobody even put themselves up there in that second half, right? We all want to grow in prayer. Prayer can be hard work. I think this is why we're often told in Scripture to labor in prayer, because it is a labor. It is work. And here in Colossians 4, we are, we are in fact commanded to be steadfast in prayer. And I think the idea here is, is discipline. We're called to be disciplined. We're called to have purpose and intentionality in how we pray. Prayer is not an optional idea for the Christian life. It is, in fact, commanded that we do it. Oftentimes, we think of prayer as just something that we do alone at home or something we do while driving in the car or something we do in quiet. And yes, that is an important part of prayer. We should be praying in our minds and in those quiet times. That is an important part of prayer. But it's also important that we spend time in prayer this morning together that we engage in the pastoral prayer and the worship services each week, that we spend time in prayer in our small group Bible studies and in our community groups, that we spend time in prayer with our family members, lifting each other up. God works through prayer all of these ways of praying. He has ordained it to be so. He he is. In his infinite wisdom and his sovereignty, God works through prayer. How does that come together, man's prayers and God's sovereignty? I don't know, but he does it, and he calls us to do it. And therefore, we should be wise to pray without ceasing. We are to be steadfast in prayer. We're also called here in this passage to be watchful in prayer. He calls them to be watchful in prayer. Is this not what... Jesus told his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night in which he was betrayed, he called them to be watchful in prayer. I think the way that we're to be watchful in prayer is we are to, we are to train ourselves to, to, to recognize opportunities to, to stop and to pray in those times where we need Almighty God to intervene divinely in our lives. Maybe... It's the people that you come into contact with that you are called to be watchful in prayer. Maybe someone just shared a, a, a hard struggle or a hardship or a pain in their lives. And as soon as they shared that, maybe that's God 
calling you to stop and to pray. And don't be guilty like I am of saying, I'll pray for you. (laughs) Do it right then and there. Pray for them. Maybe you, right now personally, maybe you're just stressed out and worried. Right now in this service, you can't think about anything else but your worry and your stress. Perhaps that is God calling you to pray and to go to Him. We're also called to be thankful in prayer, the the Apostle Paul says. In other words, a spirit of, of thanksgiving is to dominate our prayer lives. And of course, what a great reminder as we approach the season of thanksgiving, that it's a good reminder for us always to be looking to the Lord to thank Him for His many blessings. I don't think we could say that enough in our prayers, giving thanks to God. Taylor, make prayer a regular habit of your ministry. Pray for your labor in the gospel. Pray that God would make you effective. Pray for those whom God has called you to shepherd. One of the most effective things you can do in pastoral ministry is praying out loud for those whom you're ministering to. Maybe over the phone, maybe in person. Pray for your flock. But church, again, this is for us. This is one of the most effective and distinctive things that we can do in the Christian life is labor in prayer. God has commanded us to do so. He has promised to work through prayer. Maybe God will lead someone into your life this week that you can pray for out loud, that you can pray to the Father to help this person. And don't be surprised if someone looks at you like you're an alien because they've never had anyone pray out loud for them. It's a very powerful thing that you can do. May I humbly ask you this morning to pray for your leaders especially your your pastors. We need it. And it's one of the most encouraging things I often hear from many of you that you're praying. I'm humbled by the example of the Apostle Paul here that he asked this church to pray for him because the truth is pastors need your prayers. We need you to labor in prayer for us as we labor in love for you. And let me encourage you all to be praying for Taylor and for Julian, for their family as he takes up this calling. A Christian is called to be salt and light by being steadfast in prayer. Secondly, a Christian is called to be salt and light by preaching the gospel of Christ with clarity. That's actually what Paul asked them to pray for as, as he declares the mystery of Christ. Again, remember that word mystery in the, in the New Testament. It doesn't mean that it's hidden. It means it's now revealed. He asks for prayer as he preaches the word, the mystery of Christ. As Paul goes about his preaching and teaching ministry, even in jail, he prays that he would do so with clarity, proclaiming the name of Christ. And Taylor, yet again, this is a great privilege that we have in gospel ministry and yet the great challenge that we would declare the mystery of Christ clearly, with clarity. Because in our world, everything is unclear. 
Everything is murky. Everything is confusing. There's mixed messages coming from every which direction. And so the urgent calling for the church and for the ministers of the church is to declare the gospel clearly and succinctly and with conviction. This is why the Apostle Paul calls the young Timothy here to preach the word. To be prepared always to do it in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming, he says, when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. And so the clear gospel is what is needed. We must preach the gospel with absolute clarity. And that means that we must tell people the truth. The truth that they are, in fact, dead in their sin. That their sin is a real problem. That they will, in fact, be going to hell if they don't repent and trust in Christ. That the wrath of God is real, but the wonder, the love, the grace, the mercy of God in Christ Jesus is amazing. And it's true, and it's liberating, and it's powerful, and it will bring great joy. That's the clear message we must give. And so, church, the call to preach the gospel with clarity, it's not just for preachers. It's not. It is for all those who belong to Christ. It is for those of us who have been rescued by the God of grace, and we cannot wait to tell others about what he has done and what he is doing and what he will do. This is yet another matter for prayer. We pray for your leaders. We pray for your pastors. We pray for your Sunday school teachers. We pray for your small group leaders, children. Will you pray for your parents as they minister to you as they shepherd you and disciple you will you do that we pray that god's sovereign grace would help us to be effective in our preaching and teaching of the gospel and that hearts will be changed as a result of the clear gospel of the lord jesus christ being proclaimed last a a christian is called to be salt and light by showing wisdom in their witness By showing wisdom in their witness. Look in verse 5. He says that they would walk in wisdom toward outsiders. That is the clear command given here is that Christians would show wisdom in the way they live before a watching world. I don't know if you've noticed or not. But the world is watching Christians. The world is watching you. They're watching the way you walk. They're watching the way you talk. They're watching the way you treat others. They're watching the way you dress. They're watching your tone of voice. They're watching you in traffic. (laughs) Lord, help us. They're watching what you post on Facebook. They're watching what you like on Facebook. They're watching what you respond to them with a text message. The world is watching. 
and can't wait to put it on the front page of the news when you mess up. Everything, everything you're doing is being watched. And everything we do is serving as a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything. That's humbling, isn't it? Scary. The world wants us to mess up. They're, they're waiting to, for someone to make a mistake so that they can call us out and condemn us for our sin and transgressions. And so that is why we need the reminder that the way we walk toward outsiders is important. It matters. The way we, the way we speak, our, our words that we use, it, it matters. Our actions matter. How, how we talk about Jesus in the Christian life, it matters. Specifically, speech is mentioned here. Paul calls them to be gracious and have a, a speech that is seasoned with salt. I grilled some pork tenderloin yesterday. I didn't bring any this morning, sorry. Um, but I salted it down about two hours before, pretty heavily with salt. Thanks to some grill masters in here, they helped me with this. And that pork was so tender because that salt had time to just seep in and, and break apart the meat and make it, I'm making you all hungry now, I'll stop there. That, that is a, a, an illustration of kind of the, the Christian life. You know, we, 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 we don't just dump the salt on and say, here, have some salt. You know, it's, it seeps in. It, it marinates. It has an effect. It changes what's around us. That's why Christians are called to be salt and light, and their speech is to be, to be gracious, to be loving and kind and tender toward those that we're around. It's a reminder that we need to think about how we are perceived by others. There are many people you're around at work, in your neighborhood, on the ball fields, sitting next to in the airplane, and the way you conduct yourself, it's a testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ. You are having an effect on them by how you live out the gospel. So Taylor, it, it would be easy for you to just show up here at Cornerstone week after week and be, as some like to joke us, a professional Christian, Right? But what about the other spears when you're not around the Lord's people? How will they perceive you? We need to think about that. Church, we need to think about that as well. How are you perceived by others, by outsiders, by those who are outside the fellowship of the church? How can we be salt and light to bring them in? And furthermore, our words matter because it's how we share the gospel is with words. It's how we answer the questions that people have. That's why he says that he prays there in verse 6, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I love this verse in 1 Peter 3.15, where the apostle Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. When someone asks you, what, what is it that brings you joy? What does it bring you purpose? Why do you raise your family that way? Why do you align your priorities with the Christian life? Are you prepared to give an answer with words for why you have that hope and why you have that joy? And so that's why Taylor and all of us 
We're to be ready to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others at any time. This is how Christians are called to be salt and light, prayerful, being clear with the gospel, living out their lives with wisdom before others. And that if this is not clear to you right now, let me try to make it clear as we talk about gospel clarity. The truth is God created the world and everything in it and everyone in it, and he called it good, called it very good. But then rebellion against God brought in bad. Sin entered the world. Everything became marred by sin. But God, being rich in love and mercy, he sent his one and only son, the king of heaven, to become a man, to become a sacrifice for us so that we might be right before God. And this is the good news. This is what drives us to live the Christian life. This is what motivates us to to be salt and light, to pray for others, to pray with others. To walk before those who do not know Christ in such a way that they would want to know him by the way we live and the way we minister. And so may God help us to be salt and light before a watching world for the praise of King Jesus. Let's pray. Oh God, this this is a high and holy calling that we are called to here. And Lord, help us not to see these as merely things that we must check off our list, but Lord, as things that we need for life and for godliness. Lord, teach us the power of prayer as we pray, as we pray for others, as we pray together. Lord, help us to see these doors that are open that you give us every day to declare the mystery of Christ. Father, give us your spirit and help us to walk with wisdom before the outsiders, always being gracious with our speech, seasoned with salt, so, Lord, that we may know how to tell others about the hope that is in Jesus. Lord, help us in these endeavors, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.